0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC Podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and miniseries. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC Podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. So I have three scriptures for you this morning. The first is simply our commandment from Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. The second from the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And turning to the Gospel of John, beginning in the end of the seventh chapter and continuing through 811. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. She said, no one Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word for us, perhaps a hard word today, but a word, Lord, that has spoken through the generations. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As we reflect today on this seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, let me say that this is probably one no pastor wants to preach on. As we were figuring out the preaching schedule for this time when Pastor Carolyn is out, this week was open, and I said I would tackle this topic because with retirement on the horizon, if I say something to offend, you only have to put up with me till the end of the year. I can honestly say, though, that I don't know of anyone right now who is in an active adulterous relationship. In 20 years of ministry here and other places, do I know anyone who was, or anyone who is the victim of an adulterous relationship? Absolutely. And I can say that all of those situations have one thing in common, no matter what the circumstances or how the story ends, whether there's reconciliation and forgiveness and a happy ending or not, there is brokenness and someone or someones gets hurt. And let me tell you, when you're in that midst of, that, of the pain with someone or someones, as a pastor, it is heartbreaking. Having gotten that out of the way, let's turn to something a little lighter. As I've had some downtime this summer, I've been cleaning out my office. Someone recently said that they could walk from the front door to the back door without tripping over anything, and that's a good thing. I've shredded, I've packed boxes, and I've found good homes for some of the treasures I've collected over the last 16 years here. I've come across things that have made me laugh, things that have made me cry, and things that have made me just smile. One of our staff members, based on personal experience, used to say if she needed anything, all she had to do was look in my office, and there it was. Case in point, I found three things in my office that relate to our scripture today. Imagine that. God has a way of making me smile, even as I wrestled with this challenging sermon topic. So as I struggled to find a sermon title, I kept coming back to show and tell. Because not only do the scriptures show us through the lives of Bible characters that adultery causes pain and brokenness, it also tells us that it's wrong. And show and tell, I'll be sharing with you these things that I found in my office on this subject. The first takes me back to a trunk or treat. Some of you may remember that pre-COVID event where we invited children who went to the Mount Lebanon Halloween Parade back to our church to hear Bible stories told out of the trunk of trunks of cars or through displays. Well, one year, my husband and I were Moses and Miss, Mrs. Moses, and I made this set of Ten Commandments out of cardboard, and I found them in my office behind a fake tree that was the apple tree the year that I was Eve. I tried to write the commandments in family-friendly language, and this one came out as follows. Husbands and wives must be faithful to each other. Simple, but probably all a child needs to know. In reality, there's way much more to this commandment. So my challenge today is to draw us into a deeper understanding of what this commandment means. Quoting from our study guide, the Greek word for adultery translates as the abandonment of a previous loyalty, and the world calls it an affair, a fling, a tryst, or a one-night stand, but calling it by another name doesn't change the fact that God tells us it's a sin, and I had to look up tryst, and in case you're interested, it's a private romantic rendezvous. But calling it by another name, as I said, doesn't change the fact that it's a sinful behavior. According to the Bible dictionary, the simple meaning of adultery is marital infidelity or unfaithfulness. In the Bible, an adulterer was a man who had an inappropriate relationship with a married or a betrothed woman, and such a woman was then called an adulteress. Adultery was regarded as a great social wrong, as well as a great sin. In fact, the Hebrew word for commit adultery translates as great sin, and it's used throughout the Old and New Testament with both men and women as a subject. The commandment prohibiting adultery deals with an act of a highly personal nature, violating the one flesh covenant of marriage which fits with the Greek translation as abandonment of a previous loyalty. Marriage is a covenant, a commitment, or loyalty. And adultery is the abandonment of that covenant, that commitment, or that loyalty. In the English Standard Version of Scripture, the word adultery appears 39 times. Old Testament describes a test for adultery, the punishment for adultery, includes warnings against adultery and the consequences of adultery. The Old Testament prophets use adultery as a metaphor to describe a break in Israel's relationship with God. Jeremiah writes, how can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery. Here the scriptures tell us that adultery is considered by God a serious breach of the covenant relationship that we have with Him. So it not only grieves the heart of a pastor, it grieves the heart of God. In the Old Testament, we find story after story of people involved in adulterous relationships. So here's the second thing I found in my office relating to adultery that made me smile. One of the pillars of this church was a woman named Eleanor Thomas, who died in 2020 during the height of the pandemic at 98 years old. Eleanor had the reputation of being a wonderful Bible teacher, and I can attest to that, having sat under some of her teaching. As I was going through a pile of papers that had been given to me from her power of attorney, I came across this little slip of paper with a poem on it. Let me share that with you. King Solomon and King David led very wicked lives with half a hundred concubines and far too many wives. But when old age came creeping on, they both were filled with qualms. So King Solomon wrote the Proverbs and David wrote the Psalms. Proverbs 6.32 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. And the heart-wrenching penitential Psalm 51 was written out of David's adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And it begins, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. David recognized that his relationship with Bathsheba was wrong, and in this psalm, he pours out his heart as he seeks forgiveness from the Lord. Pastor Carolyn asked me if I would address this denomination's position on this topic, and as part of the Reformed tradition, we go back to the Reformers, Luther and Calvin, who maintain that Christians are called to fidelity or faithfulness in marriage and chastity or purity in singleness. According to Luther, not only the external act is forbidden, but every kind of cause, motive, and means. And we have a responsibility to hold up one another and to care for one another. I'm quoting now from a book written by Stanley Hauerwas that Pastor Carolyn suggested all of us preaching on this Ten Commandments read. And this is from the larger catechism. Quote, Your heart, your lips, and your whole body are to be chaste, and to afford no occasion, aid, or encouragement to unchastity. Moreover, you are to defend, protect, and rescue your neighbor when he is in danger or need, and on the contrary, to aid and assist him so that he may retain his honor. Whenever you fail to do this or wink as if it's of no concern of yours, you are just as guilty as the culprit himself. In short, Everyone is required to live chastely himself and to help his neighbor do the same. Thus God by his commandment wants every husband or every wife guarded and protected from every trespass," unquote. A high calling indeed and one of the reasons we left our former denomination was that the fidelity and chastity clause was removed from the book of order as a requirement for church officers. The EPC has both a 67-page pastoral letter and a six-page position paper on fidelity and chastity and related topics, and as I mentioned in the e-letter this week, both Pastor Steve and I have copies of those that we'd be happy to share with you if you're interested. As we turn to the New Testament as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus quotes this commandment and takes it a step further, broadening our understanding as he says, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Elder Bruce Tenenbaum mentioned last week that we can commit murder with our emotions, our anger, and our words. And he gave this wonderful illustration of driving on Streets Run Road and having a car in front of him going very slow and he was in a hurry to get somewhere and he said he murdered that person with his anger. Well, would you believe Tuesday morning I was going to my niece's in Pleasant Hills and I was driving down Streets Run Road and there was a car right in front of me going about 15 miles an hour and I thought, oh, Bruce, you really called it right, didn't you? But in the same way, we can commit adultery with our hearts. If you read the story of David and Bathsheba from 2 Samuel, it begins simply with a look. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and he didn't stop there. The look turned to an act. Jesus continues in Matthew, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Obviously, we're not to take this teaching literally. This is one of Jesus' more dramatic illustrations of the seriousness of the relationship between heart and act. So we might interpret this teaching as follows. If your eye causes you to see something that would cause you to sin, don't look. If you're tempted to do something that you shouldn't do with your hands, don't do it. And later in Matthew, Jesus repeats this same illustration and includes cutting off a foot in relation to a teaching on temptations to sin. And the implication there is that our feet take us places. So if we're tempted to go somewhere, we know we shouldn't. Simply don't go there. Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. One of our church members recently wrote a devotion on this commandment, and he posed a reflective question on this teaching of Jesus. Who among us hasn't struggled to live up to Christ's expectations concerning this commandment? I expect that switching the words man and woman in Christ's interpretation is appropriate, don't you? I would answer that question, yes, because as I mentioned earlier, the Hebrew word for great sin used in the Old Testament is in relation to both men and women. And in our second New Testament reading from the Gospel of John, it is a woman who is brought before Jesus, having been caught in adultery. The history behind this passage is interesting. Your Bible will most likely include a note that says the story was not included in the original manuscripts of the Gospel of John, but found its way into them at a later date. The style and language and placement of this passage causes some manuscripts to leave it out altogether. As I read about it this week, I thought the best explanation for its inclusion came from Vernon McGee. Some of you may remember him as a biblical scholar who is best known for his historical radio broadcast through the Bible, which began in 1941. Dr. McGee writes that this passage is significant because it condemns sin and there's both a scholarly and a moral basis for its inclusion in the word of God. Jesus is in Jerusalem and the scribes and Pharisees bring a woman to him who was caught in the act of adultery and say, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? The next verse tells us that the religious leaders did this to test Jesus on the law. And if we stop right there, we know there's something wrong with this story. Because the law required that both men and women caught in adultery be brought before the court So, where's the guy? The woman alone is placed before Jesus, and we can imagine that the crowd that he's teaching is simply waiting with bated breath to see what Jesus is going to do next. And what he does next is interesting. He bends down and writes something with his finger on the ground. Why and what Jesus wrote has been a topic of discussion by scholars through the ages. Was he simply doodling? to calm his anger or to buy some time to think. A couple of commentaries that I read refer to Jeremiah 1713, where the prophet writes, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake, forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Perhaps this makes sense, but who turned away from the Lord? Certainly the woman, But what about the scribes and Pharisees as Jesus addresses them? Let him who is without sin among you throw the first stone at her. The Mosaic law specified that before anyone could be put to death by stoning, there had to be a trial and two witnesses had to testify. Those witnesses are the the ones who then can throw the first stone. Once again, Jesus bent down to write on the ground – And when he looked up, it was only himself and the woman, this no-named woman caught in an act with a man who wasn't there. This is one of those Bible stories that I can clearly picture. The woman is placed in the midst, in front of Jesus, while he's teaching. I can only imagine if she was caught in the act of adultery. She was probably somewhat disheveled and certainly frightened as Jesus bends down to write that second time, I can picture the Pharisees and the scribes and probably the people slinking away one by one because the story then tells us when Jesus stands up, it's, he's alone with a woman who is standing before him. And what happens next is a great example of grace. Jesus stands, he brings himself to the woman's level and I can only imagine that he looks into her eyes with love and he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She responds, no one, Lord. It's interesting that this woman has no name in the passage. Jesus' words can be for any of us. Neither do I condemn you. Go now. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What started by the religious authorities as an opportunity to trap Jesus turned into an opportunity for Jesus to uphold the law. And he made it clear that the more important issue was the heart. The only person with no sin who could have thrown that first stone was Jesus himself, and he showed forgiveness and grace. This is a story of the sin of adultery, but it's also a story of God's great love for us, that he sent Jesus to the cross so that we would know his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. Our New Testament story talks about throwing stones. And the third thing I found in my office was a little bag of stones. If you know me, you know I love rocks, especially these smooth, round stones that we find in the river, stream, or lake. Those that are rounded with their sharp edges softened by years in the water. They aren't your average garden variety of rocks with their sharp edges that we find in our backyards. But if those rough rocks were like these lake and river rocks exposed to the movement of the water and the waves and friction rubbing against them for years and years and years, they too would be smooth and rounded. The movement of waves and friction to me are like the sins that we commit throughout life. As we face them, knowing Jesus' love and forgiveness, his mercy and grace, we become more smoothed out like these river rocks. Not that we won't sin again, but each time we do, we know Jesus' love and forgiveness because we know Jesus. We become a little more rounded out in our faith. Rocks become smooth by the constant rubbing against sand and shells and other rocks as the waves move them throughout the lake. And it takes time for the rocks to come out of the lake like this, perfectly smooth. In the same way, it takes time for us to get to a point where our lives are completely smooth. In fact, it takes a lifetime. And we know it's only when we're with Jesus in eternity that we will be like him, sinless and pure. So the Bible shows us what happens when adultery is committed. There is pain and brokenness. And it tells us what to do, to guard our hearts and to flee from temptation. Husbands and wives are to be faithful to one another, even as God is ever faithful to us. May it be so. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.